When I was in my late teens, much of my mental energy regarding spiritual matters revolved around seeking the deeper truths and nature of things. I wanted the thing beneath the thing. I wanted to know what was at the core of life's purpose and the role that sin, redemption, and righteous living really had in my person, as, <clears throat> in my purpose as a human. This made evangelical youth and young adult culture rather frustrating for me as it largely revolved around abstinence from sex and illicit substances and winning imaginary arguments with atheists whom most of my peers and I never really bothered to talk to. However, passages such as those read for today were a little more satisfying for me. Reflections on the grandeur of God seemed closer to the deeper nature of things than the ethicality of heavy petting before marriage. However, even reflections on God's magnitude felt a bit shallow at times. Endlessly repeating, God, you are great. God, you are glorious. God, you are magnificent, had only slightly more intellectual depth than debating whether Christians should kiss before their wedding day. On first glance, this is how today's psalm might hit. A nice reflection on God's, God's grandeur, but little more than that. Excuse me there. <sighs> But when read alongside our passage from Job, it echoes a larger recurring theme over the course of the Bible. God's power <laughs> over our universe. Sorry about the, uh, the cat joining us. God's power over our universe and God's purpose beyond our immediate surroundings. When we read the Bible and take into account the various writers over the course of millennia, it is important for us to take notice of the echoes because they help us discern what aspects of the way humans seek God uh, have remained consistent as times and cultures have shifted. This leads us into the passage from Job. To briefly summarize the book of Job, it is a Hebrew novel about an ancient righteous man of God who in great hardship because God decided to take up a bet with Satan. Uh, the reader knows about the bet, uh, which is just essentially whether hardship will shake Job's faithfulness to God. But within the text, neither Job, his family, or his friends knew about the bet. Job's friends were convinced that he had committed some great sin to anger God. And Job's wife became an incredibly bitter woman. But when Job finally asked God why he was suffering, our passage, which Peter read, is God's answer, or rather non-answer. Here we have another recurring theme in the Bible. God the Father, or Jesus, um, just not directly answering the question that they are asked. 
for more examples of this, I encourage you to go through the gospels and see how many times Jesus chooses to not directly answer a question. Um, for those who criticize the Bible, this could appear to be a deflection tactic, um, a way for religion to evade some of life's more difficult questions. And while this is not a completely unfair assessment, I want to address the measures that Job takes um, to kind of address, uh, or I guess the measures that Job takes to not deflect, but rather give a better answer than what Job was asking. Um, and then I'm going to try not to go too deeply into apologetics. As I touched on earlier, I have a less than pleasant history with imaginary arguments against atheists. Um, so I try to avoid deep dives into apologetics and the debate bro culture that tends to come with it. Uh, also, another side note, I am about to use the word deuteronomic a lot. Um, when I use this word, I'm referring to the idea that good events are always rewards for good behavior and bad things are always punishment for bad behavior. Similar to the impression that you might get from reading Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Uh, so have that vocabulary ready. It's here that we get into the realm of biblical genre and the interpretation of how closely the narrative of Job matches any real life events. Essentially, Job, or essentially is Job an historical account of an actual bet between God and Satan regarding an actual person named Job and the actual resulting suffering because of the aforementioned bet? Is Job just a story meant to counter the Deuteronomic understanding that uh, good things are God's reward for good behavior and bad things are God's punishment for bad behavior? Or would an accurate interpretation of Job be somewhere in between these two? Now, regardless of where someone's interpretation of the book of Job might fall on this spectrum, the bet between God and Satan still plays a vital function in the story. The reader gets a reason for Job's suffering that is at least somewhat satisfying, depending on the interpretation, and is most importantly not a deuteronomic explanation. The reader gets to know that Job's suffering was definitely not a punishment for any sort of sin. And then, when God finally talks to Job, he actively chooses not to give Job the direct answer. God could very easily have told Job, yeah, Satan argued to the whole heavenly host that righteous people like you only honored me because you had good lives. So I had to prove him wrong uh, by making life awful for a righteous person. Your life was ultimately the one that Satan questioned, so you are a natural choice for the experiment. Uh, so good news, you pass a test, and I'm going to make your life good again. 
God actively chose not to tell Job about the bet. This then prompts the question, why? Why didn't God just give Job the straight answer that he obviously could have provided? It is here that we really encounter the religious and philosophical problem of evil. At some time, religious or at least theist folk have to ask ourselves, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? And especially, why do good people often have very bad things happen to them? And why do bad people often have very good things happen to them? And Job is probably the Bible's primary reflection on the problem of evil. Now, a purely Deuteronomic understanding essentially gives a circular answer uh, to the problem of evil, that good things only happen to good people and bad things only happen to bad people. So if it appears that something bad is happening to a good person, then there must be a bad thing that the person did that we just don't know about because good things only happen to good people and bad things only happen to bad people. The book of Job actively rejects this interpretation. It tells the story of demonstrably bad things happening to a person that the book clearly describes as being a good person. So we can kind of just toss out this Deuteronomic answer to the problem of evil. However, this still leaves us with the question, why didn't God just tell Job about the bet? Well, if God gave this direct answer to Job uh, in the book that uh, is supposed to more generally address the problem of evil, then we might get the impression that every time a bad thing happens to a good person, it is because God made a bet with Satan, uh, which also is probably not the ultimate answer to the problem of evil. Now, God still probably could have given Job a more direct answer to the overall problem of evil. Maybe God needs to test people at times for various reasons. Maybe humans must have some understanding of bad and evil things in order to appreciate goodness. Philosophers have come up with a multitude of answers to the problem of evil over the ages, and some are more satisfying than others. I considered making this reflection an overview of some of the most common philosophic answers, but I decided against that in favor of focusing more on the text. That stated, we still need to address why God simply did not give a straight answer, but rather asserted his own power and magnitude. God essentially told Job, my magnitude my power, my purposes are so much larger than your life. When put up against the Deuteronomic understanding of good and evil, God's answer points out its flaws. We live in a world full of people who are all doing good and bad things to each other, along with nature that is just being nature. Furthermore, this is a huge universe of which we are only a small part and a God who, we have a God who is continuously 
um, working in us and um, even working with or against some sort of heavenly or hellish powers. And yet people expect our good and bad experience to be this simple response to our own good and bad behavior. I mean, it might be possible for God to make that happen. Sorry, my cat is not making this easy for me. <laughs> um, gotta, yeah, let's, let's go. All right. Oh. So it might be possible for God to make this happen, uh, but God's answer to Job makes the Deuteronomic philosophy look at least somewhat absurd. So the book of Job not only rejects this explanation, this, you know, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, uh, but it points out the absurdity of that worldview. Job doesn't give us a solid answer to the problem of evil, and there may not even be one single solid answer to it. It does, however, give us a good place to start talking about it with each other. The fact that God's magnitude and purpose is much larger than any of us. Our passage in Mark also allows us to reflect on God's grandeur and what Jesus did with it. It's also an instance of Jesus not simply answering a person's question because, frankly, their question was bad. In this passage, when James and John asked to sit at Jesus' right and left hands, I love the way that he tells them, you do not know what you are asking. He then goes on to contrast his way with the way of Gentiles. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Rather than tell James and John yes or no, Jesus showed them that they were going after worldly conceptions of power rather than the way of Christ. They wanted to capture some of God's grandeur for themselves instead of recognizing it, being humbled by it, and channeling their energies into serving others as Jesus did. In conclusion, it's vital that we remind ourselves of God's grandeur and how it's larger than our squabbles about ethical fine points, our limited experiences of good and evil, and our selfish desires for power. Instead, we can seek the deeper truths of God's nature and channel our energy into serving him and others.